0: Världens bästa Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson Hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson Ingen faktiskt Ingen annan Karlsson Vill jag så bra som mig? Carlson! Carlson! Carlson scores! Carlson! Yes. Carlson! Yes. Welcome everybody to the Carlson. final preseason but episode of the Keeping Carlson fantasy, podcast, of the Carlson fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their game game keeper pools game and game in the cupful. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me as always is Brian Calm.
1: Hey, Elon. Hi, everybody. Yes, two proud owners of Eric Carlson. We each took him with our first round picks in the cupful. And I think, Elon, for you, that was, what, like, fifth overall? For me, it was sixth.
0: Yeah, and for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, we're talking about the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. We've drafted six of the seven pools in the league so far. And, yeah, Brian and I both did our drafts. And in mine, yeah, I had fifth overall. And, you know, I wanted to get Carlson when I saw that I was going to be fifth. I thought, you know, Crosby, Sagan, Tavares, Ovechkin would be gone, guys like that. And then I would maybe pick Carlson up. Next, you know, the league counts shots. He's really high there. Defense is hard to replace. I like the guy. Named a podcast after him. Then things got a little bit challenging because Sidney Crosby ended up falling to me. Carey Price got taken in the top four. Crosby was available. I was choosing between Crosby and Carlson. I had a whole plan, and I was very close to picking Crosby, and maybe I was dumb, and I hope I don't lose credibility from the people listening right now, but I decided, you know... Crosby maybe a bit of an injury risk. He doesn't take as many shots.
1: Well, looking through the other recaps of the cupful drafts, it looks like you and I, Elon, were the earliest birds on Eric Carlson in our league's drafts. He went 9th, 10th, and 14th in the other snake format drafts although in the auction drafts his value was way up there with some of the highest selling players
0: yeah so obviously we'll have to see how that works out i'll see if i have to eat my words that'll be something i'll definitely be watching throughout the season if i made a big mistake picking carlson over crosby but okay Enough cup full talk. We've got a big episode today. It's our final preseason episode, like I said. And so we're going to treat this kind of like a warm-up for the regular season. We're going to talk about some fantasy news, talk about some headlines. We're just going to treat it like a regular game. So as we plan to do in regular season episodes of Keeping Carlson, let's start with the fantasy hockey headlines of the week. And to me, this was the most surprising headline that came out during this past week of preseason hockey, Marco Dano got sent down by the Chicago Blackhawks. He seemed like he was having a pretty decent preseason. There was all this chatter about how he was going to be playing maybe on the top line with Hossa and Taves. The Blackhawks traded Chris Versteeg, which made it all the more certain that Dano had a spot. And then out of nowhere, he got sent down. I drafted him! In the cupful, near, near the end, to be fair. But still, that was a big shock to me and to anyone who drafted him. I think we were even recommending to people on Twitter and various places that they should take a look at Marco Dano. So, Brian, is this the kind of thing where if you drafted him, it's time to drop him? Does this have impacts on other Chicago Blackhawks players? What's your take on this whole situation?
1: Yeah, you know, I feel like we kind of made him ours. I think his name started catching on a lot as preseason rolled on, and people were saying, who's this Dano guy? Maybe he's a sleeper. But we've been on him since the end of last season when he was still in Columbus. We liked Dano before it was cool. But now it's not so cool to like Marco Dano because he's playing in the AHL. And I said that with extra gravity, even though it deserves none. I believe he will be back at some point this season. But it was pretty shocking. We saw him as like a possible top six or worst top nine candidate that could work his way into the top six. But apparently Chicago has other plans for him. I wondered at first if it's because the $925,000 he makes actually puts him as the sixth cheapest forward on the team, which shows you just how cash strapped Chicago is. But we're really just looking at cap savings of, you know, tens of thousands of dollars here. So I don't know if that's really the issue. What this seems like is an opportunity for Dano to play top six minutes somewhere, even if it's in the AHL. And if you're looking for a silver lining in this whole thing, it's that, well, if they want him to play top six minutes, regular minutes somewhere else then I imagine that's the role that they'd hope he can take on when he does come back to Chicago. And keep in mind, there was another Chicago player who did spend a little longer in the AHL than intended named Toivu Teravainen, who could fill in sometime on the top line this year. Although third line center also sort of seems to be where he's shown up during the preseason. But speaking of Teravainen, I think it's good news for him. And it's good news for one, Artemi Panarin, Elon's favorite player
0: of the preseason. Woo! Apparently, we've got a hashtag Team Panarin trending on the Keeping Carlson Patron Facebook page. I don't exactly know how a hashtag could trend on a Facebook page, but people have been using it anyways. And hey, Artemi Panarin... I don't want to get too crazy, right? I don't want to make it seem as if I'm, like, obsessed and think this guy's going to be a 70, 80-point player, but I'll just throw out there that he came back from this, like, minor injury, played in Chicago's final preseason game yesterday, had two assists, and you go on Twitter, everyone's talking about some beautiful plays he made. I kind of wish I saw the game. I'll definitely be watching the Blackhawks starter. I have him in both of my pools I've drafted so far, both with very late picks. Actually, for the cupful, he wasn't drafted, and then I picked him up as a waiver acquisition when I saw that Dano got sent down. I made a little swap.
1: Yeah, well, I think a lot of people might have been moving to get him once Dano got sent down. I think coming out of the draft, Dano was the person that people were going for, just maybe a little more NHL experience, even though he is younger than Pennerin and has less professional hockey experience. But yeah, Penrin is now the guy who seems to have been able to solidify his spot in the top six in Chicago. The other guy who's been working the top six in Chicago, and this is a little bit surprising, is Andrew Shaw. Elon, you remember our conversations about Andrew Shaw?
0: Yeah, Shaw's the kind of guy that we tend to bring up like once every couple of months on keeping Carlson, it seems, just because he has some short burst of point production. Then you look at the line combinations at Frozen Pools on Dabber Hockey, who, by the way, we are proudly presented by DabberHockey.com. But yeah, you look at the line combinations, you see, oh, Shaw's playing with the top players on Chicago playing with Hossa or playing with Patrick Kane or whoever. And every once in a while you also see him playing on the top power play like Andrew Shaw's never been a big fantasy contributor in terms of a long-term guy on your roster, like aside from having him for a week or for a game. And whenever I have picked him up to stream him for a game, he always lets me down. So maybe I'm a bit biased against him. But now, once again, we're seeing Andrew Shaw in potentially a nice, cushy roster situation in Chicago. Brian, do you think this is the time that people should be looking to draft Andrew Shaw finally?
1: You know, I've always been the one to say, like, forget about Andrew Shaw. I think, like, we gave him a look a couple years back... But he never was able to consistently produce and make it worthwhile. He didn't take a ton of shots. There's no one category that he really consistently contributes in. The only thing that Shaw might have going for him is that, like, I sort of saw him on the same career trajectory as Brandon Saad at one point, and that was, like, a couple years ago already, and he's never put up the points that Brandon Saad has. His career high is 39 points compared to Brandon Saad's, well, before last year. It was 47 points, but they both seemed like guys who went on short runs with Chicago based on where they fit into the lineup, and then Saad was able to settle in on the top line last year, and consistently produce. So I wonder if Shaw, given the same opportunity, can do the same thing, but I'm also not banking on it. I think we're going to get to this a little bit later in the show, but chasing line combinations is not something I'm terribly fond of, and I don't think Shaw does a whole lot if he's not on that first line, and it I think that it makes more sense for Chicago to put Terrifying up there and have Shaw center that third line with what his sort of profile is. But I suppose it's something to keep an eye on in the first couple weeks of the season. See how the Blackhawks deploy their entire lineup.
0: Yeah, and I guess if you're at your last pick of a deep fantasy draft, there's no harm in throwing your pick at Andrew Shaw, like if you're choosing between him and some of the other guys, we're not sure if they'll be able to do anything this season like Patrick Maroon or Anton Slepchev, who we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. I guess you never know, this could be the year that Andrew Shaw breaks out.
1: Or it'll be the year that he continues to be a painfully average producer with like a couple of shots on goal per game at best.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess the only thing I could say is when you look at yesterday's preseason game, for whatever that's worth, Chicago played Dallas. They shut them out 4 nothing. by the way shared shutout with Crawford and Darling so good for both of them but Andrew Shaw I'm looking at the power play time in that game and he played four minutes and 19 seconds he had just the same pretty much as Taves and Duncan Keith so it's a good position to be in if he could capitalize that's a whole other thing but you could do worse I guess than Andrew Shaw and I know the point you were bringing up Ryan was you don't want to take Andrew Shaw but I'm kind of thinking like "Eh, with the last pick go go take Andrew Shaw
1: yeah at that point you're just making like your first free agent pickup anyway so I suppose you could do worse in a very deep draft. If I'm picking between him and Teravainen as my last picks, I will take the flyer on Teravainen first. And Panarin, too, for that matter. And just for a second, maybe, Elon, we should talk about the guy that conceivably took Dano's spot, and that's Kyle Bonn. He's one of those college free agent signings that people tend to get excited about. Like, you know, being in Ottawa, I remember the crazy bidding wars for guys like Colin Greening and Bobby Butler and Jesse Winchester and Tyler Bozak and Andy Mealy, Matt Fratton, Matt O'Connor, recently the goalie, and Cam Talbot was also a free agent signed out of college. So I don't know really what it means to come out of that group exactly, considering how most of them have performed over the last five or so years. And Bond was not a consistent scorer at the college level. I think he's probably a bottom six guy. He's a little older. He's got about three years on Dano in terms of age. And yeah, I think he's going to be more in like a workman's role than a top six scoring role.
0: Yeah, well, it takes all kinds to put together an NHL team. And I guess they decided that they had enough Marco Dano types and not enough Kyle Bond types. But you're saying for sure, not fantasy relevant Kyle Bond. Very unlikely. Alright, let's move on to the next Fantasy Hockey headline of the week, which is injuries. And what a bummer to have to talk about serious injuries during the preseason. Like, why can't these guys calm down a little bit? Especially Jordan Eberle. Like, you've got a roster spot. You don't need to try so hard. But everly has gone now for four to six weeks. I don't know I'm laughing there. It's sad news. Everly is gone now for four to six weeks with a shoulder injury. Pretty disappointing news for the Oilers and for Oilers fans. We've been excited to see... I'm, I'm putting myself now in the group now. We've been excited to see how their top six and their, maybe their top nine we're going to talk about was going to look with all of their first round picks and all of their superstars like Jordan Eberly. You know, throw Connor McDavid into the picture. It was exciting. It's still kind of exciting, but it's not the same... But with Everly out, of course, that is a huge opportunity for at least one player now to step into his role both in the top six and maybe even on the power play. So, Brian, what do you think is the fallout of Jordan Everly being injured and who's going to capitalize in the short term?
1: Well, first, I'm going to talk about the fallout for fantasy owners who have not yet drafted. For them... It's actually good news. You can draft Jordan Eberle a lot later than you would have been able to had he been healthy. I think a lot of people are super scared off by him. And remember that, like, if you're in a head-to-head league... You can probably get away with losing 10 or 15 games of Eberly. Take that hit in like your first, you know, four to six matchups, but then enjoy the advantage that you'll get for the rest of the matchups throughout the year. In a roto league or points league, it's a little bit of a different dynamic, but in a head to head league, if you think you can stem the bleeding long enough to wait for Eberly to return and put up at least like league average numbers. Wait, league average numbers? Yeah, sorry, I mean like your fantasy league average numbers. Like if you can still win enough categories to just keep pace and not fall right to the bottom of the pack without Eberly, then making a play at the draft for him is not a terrible idea, especially considering that you can get value from him probably a couple rounds later, maybe even more. Yeah,
0: I guess he's right in that Pavel Datsyuk category.
1: Yeah, exactly. A lot of people get scared by injuries in the preseason, rightly. So although Datsuk is getting older, a little bit of a different situation, Eberly really doesn't have much of an injury history. So hopefully this is something that just is a one-off, happens once, comes back, gets back to normal, and gets back to doing the things that you would expect of him as, you know, one of the higher-end right wings available to you in your fantasy draft.
0: Yeah, maybe I'll just say something about Eberle before we talk about the other players on the Oilers. If you look at his numbers from last season... Overall, you know, pretty pedestrian for a guy of his stature at 63 points in 81 games. A decent year, nothing to write home about. But if you look at the splits, he actually had only 29 points in 46 games before the All-Star game and then 34 points in 35 games after the All-Star game. So he really heated up at the end of the year. And Brian, remind me, I want to talk to you quickly about how we make projections and whether we should be looking at the full season or just the second half of the season. But with Everly, he was a different guy after the All-Star break, and if you could get the post-All-Star break Jordan Everly to show up to your team once he comes back from injury, you're going to be in amazing shape.
1: Yeah, for sure, and as to whether or not we should look at just a part of a season or the whole season to figure it out, I think the whole season is definitely a better measure, but we can also try and figure out when, you know, any kind of lull in production happened and what surrounding factors there were, and as always, Edmonton had a very difficult start to the season last year. Nothing seemed to be clicking for any of them. That changed a little bit as the season went on. This year, I'd expect a lot better from the team as a
0: whole. Yeah, I guess the reason why I was wondering that, I was just thinking recently how when We're in the middle of the season and we're talking about a player. I feel like we usually talk about, oh, this guy has 16 points in his last 14 games. So that's really impressive. We're always looking, you know, when I'm browsing through my free agents, I'll often sort them by average points over the last 30 days. Like, I feel like we look at recency during the season, but then when we're drafting our teams for next year, we don't look at recency. We look at the whole season and how they did. And I feel like there might be some value. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I feel like there might be some value to seeing how they did more recently, like since the All-Star break of last year. Then you could see guys who got into their coach's doghouse near the end and maybe still are there, guys who were able to break out of it. I don't know, just a thought. Maybe I'd have to run some simulation or something and see if there's a difference in how successful the projections are.
1: Okay, so you're kind of saying why do we spend more time thinking about what happened in the last 10 or 15 games once the season gets started versus the entire season before when we're trying to figure out how things are going to play before the season begins. And my answer to you is I think that's probably the difference between you and I, Elon. (laughs) You are really into what happens the last 10 or 15 games, and I really try and keep in mind the months and even years before those last 15 games. There is something called recency bias. It's a real thing where you're affected disproportionately by things that have happened most recently, and I'm not saying we shouldn't care about a player's last 10 or 15 games, but I think I generally tend to try and keep looking at the bigger picture versus getting too swayed by, you know, a 10 or 15 game run.
0: Right. Okay. So just bigger sample size. I gotcha. I just thought it was something interesting. And anyways, I still think it's relevant that Everly had such a better second half of the year. And I guess you're explaining that by saying there is a good reason. It's because the Oilers were garbage at the start of the year and they were able to pick things up a bit, at least offensively. Okay. Back to the Oilers. Back to the Everly injury. Everly obviously would have been on the top power plane in the top six. How does the lineup shake out now that he's injured and who's the one getting the new opportunity?
1: The opportunist here is Anton Slepshev. We're guessing on the name thus far. I'll just put that out there. He's a 21-year-old Russian rookie who has already played parts of five seasons in the KHL. And he wasn't a big scorer there, but then again, he was probably in somewhat of a limited role as a young prospect in that league. Slepchev now gets a look on a line with Connor McDavid and Taylor Hall, which sounds pretty good, although the chemistry hasn't looked to be quite there yet, according to the excellent Oilers preseason coverage coming from the Edmonton Journal's Cult of Hockey blog. But recent reviews from that same blog have liked what Slepchev has been doing. And this is a really good chance for him to establish himself early on. He was probably not going to get a look at the top two lines. He was probably going to be in a third-line role. And now you have others on the third line who are probably chomping at the bit to get the same opportunity. It's kind of like the all-upside line in Edmonton right now, with Drysettle, Lander, and Yakupov all hanging out on the third line there. And up on the first line, you've got Teddy Purcell, who moved up with Eberle's absence. You'd think that might affect Ryan nugent Hopkins a little bit, so far, it hasn't seemed to bother him too much. He's pretty good at handling his own business. But of course, it'll be better once he has Eberly back with him.
0: Okay, so you're saying now that we've got Purcell and Slepshev jumping into the top six. Then there's also this all upside third line with Dreisdel and Yakupov. Of all of these names I've just mentioned, who would you want in fantasy? Which of these guys, or maybe you're going to name a couple of people, should people be trying to target in their drafts, or at least picking up as a free agent to ride out while Eberly's injured?
1: I think I'm curious enough to maybe take a flyer on Slepishev, and I think that's somebody that maybe police can turn to if other similar options on other teams like Plotnikov and Panarin are already taken. And then after that, I suppose Leon Dreisaitl is someone I'm really curious to see play. I don't know how much of an opportunity he's going to get this year. If you remember last year... The Oilers took a lot of heat for really botching the way they managed his first year in the league, having him on the team, burning the year of his contract, sending him to the World Juniors, and then sending him straight out back to Juniors. He didn't do a whole lot while he was in the NHL, just 9 points in 37 games with the big club, but when he went back down to the WHL, he predictably came back to life, scoring 53 points in 32 games. So he can produce a junior, that doesn't mean a ton for his NHL prospects. Although he was the third overall pick in 2014 and he still does have that pedigree. I'm interested to see what he can do. I also wonder if Yakupov can finally take that step forward. I don't think, like I still am not convinced that this guy is a total bust. I think he's just like adding to his game until it's good enough for him to hang with other NHL players while doing the thing he does best, which is score. And then Lander, I guess, is sort of like the vanilla of the group. He's the one with probably the lowest upside but maybe the steadiest option of the three.
0: Yeah, and I know that you'll just say this is meaningless, but hey, Anton Lander, five goals in six preseason games. So he's definitely made the most of this opportunity to get into, I guess, the top nine role.
1: Yeah, well, he produced for two years in the AHL with the Oklahoma City Barons. A couple years ago, he had 52 points in 46 games. And then last year, he was able to notch 31 points in 29 AHL games. And in the NHL, he was about half point per game guy. So if he can improve on that, he could be a reasonably relevant fantasy producer in leagues that require you to have some depth on your team.
0: Okay, so, Brian, I have to ask. I know it might be annoying, but a lot of people are probably going to have this decision to make at the end of their drafts. If you want to take one of these Oilers, how are you ranking Anton Lander, Benoit Pouliot, Neil Yakupov? Anton Slepchev, Leon Drysotil, Teddy Purcell. Maybe I won't ask you for a full ranking, but like who do you want of those guys that I just mentioned if you could only get one?
1: If I could only get one, and this answer might surprise you, but I'm going to take Benoit Pouliot just because I'm more confident in his position for the full season. I'm really interested to see what Slepchev can do, but even if he does do well, it seems like his time in the top six is going to be limited to the four to six weeks that Eberle is out of the lineup. And then, like I was saying, the other three really are a crapshoot. Like, if I had to choose between the three of them, you know, I've tried Yakupov before, so maybe this year I'd try dry settle, but... It, that's like a personal preference sort of thing. It's really hard to distinguish one's value from another at this point of their careers and at this point of the season.
0: Yeah, it'll definitely be something really fun to watch. I'm sure we'll be touching on the Oilers quite a bit during the regular season. Okay, we've only talked about two headlines so far, so let's keep talking about injuries. A couple other notable ones worth mentioning TJ Brody broke his hand about a week ago, and he's going to be out apparently three to six weeks. He's a guy who was as we've mentioned, slated to be playing alongside Mark Giordano on Calgary. Had a really rough end to the season fantasy-wise once Giordano got injured, but Giordano's back, so maybe we thought that he would be able to resume his really nice point pace that he was putting up at the start of last season. Brian, is he in the Eberly conversation as someone now you can get later in your draft that you'd want, or are you not too interested in him anyway? And regardless, while he's out, who gets the opportunity there to play with Giordano?
1: I think he's a guy that actually could just fall completely out of the draft versus Eberle who would just fall later. And I don't think Brody deserves to be out of your fantasy draft. I think he's still a reasonable defenseman option for your team. And for the second part of your question, I think Dougie Hamilton is actually going to be in a better spot because of this. Which is weird because it's like, where else would he be in the lineup than on the top pairing but we still really have yet to see how things shake out. We know that Brody and Giordano are attached at the hip, or at least have been for the last couple years. Now that Brody's out, Hamilton has a wide open spot to walk into to start the season. There's no concern about how he's going to share minutes with the other four defensemen on the Flames roster. He just gets to step right up and play with Giordano, likely. And this is also good news for Giordano, too, because he still has a very, very confident partner, to say the least, while his
0: usual partner is on the shelf. Yes, maybe not good news for Giordano, but at least not horrible news.
1: Yeah, and this also gives Russell and Weidman a longer stay on the second pairing. I would have assumed that when Hamilton stepped in, one of those guys would end up on the third pairing, but they will be allowed to keep getting second pairing minutes and see second pairing opportunities for now, but neither one of Russell or Wideman are really great at handling themselves defensively, so you can probably expect two things from them for the duration of Brody's injuries, and those are block shots and probably a handful of minuses as well, because they both rode pretty high percentages all the way through last year, but neither one has really shown the metal to really control play. While they're on the ice,
0: yeah, I'm just taking a look at Calgary's game yesterday against Winnipeg, and th- they really spread the defense out. It'll be interesting to see what they do when the actual season starts. But when I look at Weidman, Russell, Hamilton, and Giordano, all of them played just around 21 minutes. All of them played between like 45 seconds and a minute and a bit on the power play. And of course, like you said, Chris Russell had three blocks, as he always tends to do. So definitely if you need blocks, In your league, Russell's a great guy to have, especially if he could stay now in the top four defensemen while Brody's injured. He might even get you some points in the short term, like you say, maybe some minuses to go along with them. But if you could get blocks and a couple of points from Russell, that makes him really valuable in leagues with blocks as a category. And by the way, Dougie Hamilton's had a pretty quiet preseason. You haven't heard much about him. I don't think he's like put up any points really maybe one assist but of course it's just preseason I'll be curious to see if the hype on him will be able to be sustained once the actual regular season starts or if he just sort of fades into being one of the many non-Mark Giordano Calgary Flames defensemen.
1: Yeah I don't think he's actually going to fade away in any sense even when Brody does come back I think he will make a noticeable impact anywhere he falls in the lineup but for sure this at least gives him a brighter spotlight to start the year than most of us were expecting him to get.
0: Yeah, I don't know what it is. I just have like this feeling that Dougie Hamilton might disappoint people. I don't really have any basis for it. Doesn't seem like you think he will. So hopefully he'll work out well for people. And I have still a couple more injuries to round out this segment. Zach Bogosian on Buffalo is injured. We're not sure yet how long he's going to be out. Apparently, his status for the opening night is questionable. But he's someone that would have had probably a very prominent role on the Buffalo blue line. And maybe that opens up an opportunity for a guy like Rasmus Ristolainen. And then the other injury I wanted to get your thoughts on is Andrew Hammond, who I know you already thought wasn't going to challenge Craig Anderson for the number one job in Ottawa. But now, you know, even worse news for Andrew Hammond. He's out for just a couple of weeks, so two to four weeks.
1: Let's start. In Buffalo with Bogosian, if we weren't sure of Cody Franson's QB one status before, we can now be almost certain that he's going to get the call to start the year with Bogosian on the shelf. Not that Bogosian would have been like a huge threat, but he was probably the other D-man on that blue line in Buffalo that has had experience quarterbacking a power play before. But Bogosian is now out; he's no stranger to injury either. It's been five years since he last played more than 70 games in a season. So this isn't terribly unexpected. And yeah, this is going to give Frantzen a chance to really comfortably establish himself as the go-to guy in Buffalo. Although it looks like he may still have some inroads to make there. Ristolainen, you mentioned Elon. I feel like he was going to get A pretty good shot either way and he's not really slated to be a huge scorer in the NHL he's never really been a productive defenseman he's more just like a really super steady guy on the back end who can put in a point every now and then but I don't think that's what his primary purpose is going to be
0: and I'm just going to throw something out there I'm looking at the total preseason statistics for Buffalo and I know again I always have to preface it by saying probably not worth anything but you look at just the whole Buffalo team and their stats I'm looking at this page on NHL.com And you see so many minuses in the plus minus column. Like most of the players are minus. I'm seeing minus twos, minus ones, minus threes. Then a shining star standing out completely separate from everyone else. Cody Franzen is plus six in the preseason. So you might look and see, oh, he had a couple of assists in five games. Nothing too special, but plus six, 12 shots on goal. Seems like it's been a pretty successful preseason for Cody Franzen.
1: Why wouldn't he be? He is far and away the most experienced player on that Buffalo blue line, which is still very, very thin, which is a concern for anybody whose leagues count minuses.
0: And also a concern for anyone who has Robin Lehner, I'd assume.
1: Yeah, so Lehner or any of the forwards too, like Kane, O'Reilly, Ennis, they are going to see their share of minuses, no doubt, with a blue line that features Mike Weber, Mark Pisick, Jake McCabe, and Matt Donovan. Mike, Mark, Jake, and Matt holding down (laughs) the Buffalo blue line.
0: Yeah, Robin Lehner also has had a pretty weak preseason Definitely, if you have high hopes for Robin Leonard, now is a great time to buy in on him because, you know, there was a lot of excitement maybe going into the year and maybe some of that has feigned during the preseason. I'll be curious to see if he can bounce back. But hey, I'm excited about the offensive upside of some of these Buffalo guys. Not too excited about defense.
1: Yeah, and I'll even step in there on Leonard, even though I don't need to stick my neck out with this and I don't even know if it is considered sticking my neck out, but I'm going to say it. I am really not expecting big things at all from Robin Liner this year. The last couple of years have been a real struggle for him, both on and off the ice with injuries. And even when he has been healthy, he has not turned in too many gems. Now he's going to be more or less unprotected in Buffalo. And I just don't like what that might spell out for his season. I was in a league where people were drafting, and like the only points you get are for wins and shutouts from your goalies. And he went like 10th as a oh, goalie. No and he's just not going to be able to help you in very many categories aside from saves, and he's only going to help you in saves so long as he like plays serviceably, and I'm not even sure I have a ton of confidence for him to do that for a large stretch of the season.
0: You know, I actually feel like I'd rather have him in a league that doesn't count save percentage, so maybe this is a league that he's okay, like Buffalo's going to maybe win some games, hopefully more than last season. But okay, speaking of goalies that have played in Ottawa before, how about Andrew Hammond's injury? I guess it doesn't really affect anything for you, right? You were saying don't draft him anyways.
1: Yeah, still not too high on Andrew Hammond. Still don't think this has much of an impact on anything. If anything, it just means that There's going to be a lot of work for Craig Anderson early on in the season. You'll see that college free agent signing Matt O'Connor hanging around Ottawa a little longer than he would have had Hammond been healthy. But I don't expect to see him play a whole lot while he's dressed. So Craig Anderson owners, get ready for a lot of starts in the first few weeks of the season.
0: Yeah, and at least on ESPN, the first week of the fantasy season is just a short week from Wednesday to Sunday. And in that stretch, most teams play only two times. Ottawa plays three times. So I don't know, is Craig Anderson going to get three starts? Is he going to play both on Saturday and Sunday? I guess we'll see. Or maybe they'll give Matt O'Connor a chance to play his first ever NHL game.
1: News out of Ottawa suggests that Anderson is ready and willing and will probably be asked to take all three starts. Although I guess we will have to wait and see to see which one of us is right. Although it's usually me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well i think it'll depend on how he does in his first two starts to see if he could get that start on sunday i got my fingers crossed go sends okay enough with these depressing injuries let's talk about an outjury we mentioned a couple episodes ago that yori Latera might not make it to the start of the nhl season but he will in fact play he even got in one preseason game for the blues and he had a really great game golden assist So with Laterra back, though, I think this is a good opportunity to take one final look at the St. Louis Blues roster. You know, we were talking about how Paul Stasny might be playing with Tarasenko and Steen. And you mentioned that when Laterra's back, that might change things. Brian, what happened in that preseason game? I guess preseason is hard because maybe some players were just being scratched because they weren't expected to play anyways or they weren't being scheduled to play. But what's your final take on the St. Louis Blues roster with Letera back in?
1: The top two lines seem to be back as Steen and Tarasenko and Stasny, Schwartz, Brouwer. And that's what I'm expecting to see over the first couple weeks of the season. Maybe Laterra sees spot duty there. But I don't think his return to the lineup means a return to the top six for him. And you know, for a guy who picked up 23 points in his first 25 NHL games last year and was a free agent pickup for so many people at the start of the season, his fantasy value is actually fairly underwhelming going into 2015-16, and that's pretty reasonable to have it so underwhelming because he put up just 21 points in his last 50 games last year, and now he's on the outside looking in of St. Louis's top six. So yeah, just not a ton of fantasy value for the guy right now. If he goes undrafted in most fantasy leagues, I'm not surprised.
0: And what happened with Stasny? I thought that we were talking about him playing with Steen and Tarasenko. Now you say he's on the second line?
1: From the most recent reports coming out of St. Louis,
0: yes, that's the case. Well a bit of a bummer but hey it's better than the third line where he was playing for a lot of last season though if Letterra does well then all of a sudden Sassy could be pushed back oh no and I actually drafted him in one of my leagues maybe based a bit on your optimism for him so hopefully things will work out for him and he's not playing on the third line at least even though that second line Jaden Schwartz is good Troy Brower, eh? well we'll see So that's it for the fantasy hockey headlines of the week. I still have a few names I want to throw at you, Brian, before we close out the show. Before we get to that, a couple things I want to cover. First of all, like I hinted at before, we are presented by DauberHockey.com. And if you haven't gone to that website yet, now is definitely the time to do so. So much fantasy hockey coverage, and as the season starts, it's definitely the type of thing you need to be doing. They have the daily ramblings every day, all the updates from the previous night's games, line combinations, starting goalies, that's all there. Always tons of articles. They have rankings. They have, like, top keeper rankings, top goalies, top defense. They update it, like, once a month. Then there's all these tools. There's the Fantasy Hockey Geek tool, which I've been using for the past couple of drafts. That's where they let you import your own custom projections, or you could use Dauber's projections. You put in your league settings, you know, what different roster spots there are, what the scoring settings are, and then it tells you the value of each player. gives you your own custom ranking for your league. Super valuable. And I saw it in action, actually. I, I generated a ranking for one of my leagues where there was three goalie slots, and one bench spot and then we decided right at the end before the draft that we were going to switch it to be two goalie slots and two bench spots and all of a sudden the value of all the goalies plummeted because before it was like oh you definitely need to grab goalies because you're going to need three of them for sure everyone's going to be taking three once it saw that the rosters had been changed it changed the calculation it's really interesting to see how they rank things you'll also tend to find defensemen ranked highly and you might be like oh why is this defenseman ranked so highly well it's because they look at all the other players and they compare them based on on, you know if you don't take this guy what's the next best guy you'll be able to take versus a center where maybe you could get a higher guy very interesting stuff they have really good articles on there too explaining how their algorithm works i love fantasy hockey geek i love dauberhockey.com we're very lucky to be presented by such a great website because i could gush over it and not sound like a phony because it's a site i use all the time
1: yeah so happy to be part of the dabber hockey team once again and also thank you to our patrons for making this episode possible Your support means so much to us. If you listen to the show on a regular basis and you are not yet a patron, we'd really appreciate it if you consider doing so. Head on over to keepingcarlson.com slash patron. See all the perks you get. If you flip us just like a quarter or a buck for each episode you listen, that really means a lot to us. And we will give you some stuff in return. If you will give us about a buck and a quarter per episode, you can see all the details. Again, over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Thank you to those who have already signed up and are on board for the cupful and in the Facebook group, which is just crazy. I'm spending so much time on there every day. Stuff is constantly coming up, questions being asked, stuff we don't even get to on the show for time constraints. And Elon, you and I are always around there frequently answering questions and having conversations. It's a good place to be.
0: Yeah, and even when I go out for the night and I come back, there's already a conversation Someone asked a question and there's already like 10 answers before I could even step in, you or I. So there's a lot of smart people in the Patreon group. It's definitely the place to be. I actually had to make a life change yesterday because of the Facebook group that we have. And that is that I turned off push notifications on my phone for Facebook because it was too much. There's all these posts and messages all the time, which is great. And don't worry, I'm still going to check it like all the time, but I had to turn off these push notifications. It was driving me crazy.
1: I had to download the Facebook groups app so that I could keep up with it too. So we're both changing our lifestyles
0: <laughs> around this crazy <laughs> Facebook group, which is so fun. But okay, yeah, go to com slash patron. Also, Brian, we have to schedule a patron cast for October. That'll be a lot of fun. And very quickly, let me thank... Some new patrons who have signed up, Dan, Paul, Matt. Thank you. We really appreciate it. But again, we appreciate all of our listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. I know there's many podcasts out there and you chose us. And we're flattered. We are flattered. But okay, let's give you a few more names before we close out the show. Here's a couple of people that I definitely did not expect to be discussing in a preseason episode of Keeping Carlson, but they're having such great preseasons that I just need to get your thoughts, Brian. Let's start with Bo Horvat on the Vancouver Canucks. I've been seeing some questions on the Facebook group. People saying, oh, should I take this guy or Bo Horvat? And at first I was like, wait, what? Why are we talking about Bo Horvat? But the reason why is that this center on the Vancouver Canucks... Has five points in five preseason games. He's had a fantastic preseason. That
1: sounded like a Jeopardy question for a second.
0: <laughs> yeah, and considering he's playing on the Canucks, who haven't exactly been impressing with their scoring abilities during the preseason, at least at the start, it's good for Bo Horvat, also 14 shots. He's been, I guess, the best player on the team in the preseason. Or at least it looks like it from the stats, obviously. If you look on Twitter, maybe you'd see the underlying grit that different players are showing. But I'm seeing good things from Bohorvat's Horvath's stats. Brian, is he a guy that you should start considering in fantasy?
1: Can grit ever be underlying? Like, I feel like that's one of those things that just on the surface all the time. Uh, but anyway, Bo Horvath's valued fantasy. I understand why people are giving him a look. He had a pretty decent rookie season, breaking into the league by scoring 25 points in 68 games last year, which is not fantastic. But again, just starting out, not getting a ton of minutes all the time or the best opportunities. I think that's all right for a rookie. And if you forget, it's only been two years since he was drafted ninth overall by the Canucks. The good news about being Beau Horvat on the Vancouver Canucks right now is that it is wide open. They really just do not have a ton of competition for the spots, which is like a double-edged sword in a sense, because yeah, he can step into any spots he wants, but so can all the other guys around him. Vancouver is essentially the Sedins making up two-thirds of the top line, and then you've got Verbata playing wherever they want him to play in the lineup. And then you've got on the second line right now, it's Horvat playing with Verbata and Berchi. So Verbata would be a fantastic line mate for Horvat. That's better news for Horvat than I think it is for Verbata. And Sven Berchi, we know, is a guy who has been touted for a while, you know, was in Calgary thought to be their next best prospect. I don't know if they cut ties with him too soon or if they are just so sure he's not going to make it in the NHL, but I think he at least projects to be a serviceable NHLer and he's going to get a bit of that chance in Vancouver. Of course, if I'm choosing one prospect on the Canucks though, it is Bo Horvat and I wouldn't expect a ton of points from him, but I would expect more opportunities for him this year to continue to grow and develop. And I would say like a 45-50 point season from him would be considered a pretty good success.
0: Yeah, that would put him right at the fringe of fantasy relevance. So I guess everyone go and add him to your watch list and see how he does. Though I am very concerned about the Canucks this season and their ability to score.
1: Well, wait. Me too. And let me be clear: I'm not projecting him for 45, 50 points. I'm just saying that would be a very successful year for Bo Horvat.
0: Okay, so that's why I'm not saying to pick him up. I'm saying put him on your watch list. Well, I'm glad we agree then. (laughs) Okay. The other name I want to throw at you, even more obscure than Bo Horvat. We're digging deep here in the final preseason episode of Keeping Carlson. Really, you know, stretching out, getting ready for the real thing. So let's talk about Andreas. on the Detroit Red Wings. I'm sure I pronounced that perfectly. Athanasiu. Athanasiu. That's what I said. This guy is a center. He's a rookie and he has seven points in five preseason games. 15 shots also in those five games. So he's also had a great preseason. I assume he's going to make the team after this. And Brian, if he does, what kind of role can we expect from Athanasiu? And do you think he should be the type of person that people should be watchlisting? Or is this just a mirage, a preseason mirage?
1: I'm going to go with preseason mirage here. I don't think he's a threat to enter the top six in Detroit. Nor is he a threat to score a whole lot of points in the NHL at this point. Anyway, he was not a big scorer in Grand Rapids last year, although he did impress a little bit. He and Anthony Mantha were sort of the two names with Detroit's AHL club that people were getting excited about. So like there's a bit of potential there for sure, but I'm not about to get too excited for a guy who had 32 points in 55 AHL games last year. And, you know, by all indications from his career history looks to be, you know, a depth NHL option. But hey, I said the same thing about Justin Abdelkader, and he had a pretty good year last year when he was parachuted into a really great situation. I still imagine that there's not room for the same thing to happen to Athanasiou. So yeah, I don't really even think I'd be watch listing this guy, let alone picking him up.
0: Okay, good to hear your assessment. Hopefully uh, no one listening will go crazy and draft him over guys that have a lot more upside on their teams. And since we're talking about Detroit, I wanted to ask you really quickly about... You mentioned Abdelkader, by the way. You were down on him last year, but he held steady and ended up getting 44 points in 71 games. That's like a 50-point pace. Do you think that was above what he'll be able to do this year? Or do you now think that this is what we can expect from just an Abdelkader, being also kind of like a somewhat valuable depth guy to your fantasy team?
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair descriptor for him, seeing as he was in such a great situation last season, and that's pretty much what he was able to do. Although, 23 goals is nothing to shake a stick at. 44 points is not terribly impressive, but 23 goals is something that could add value to your team. I wouldn't say I was down on him last year. I was just kind of skeptical that he could keep up the runs of production that he was having at certain points of the season and hold on to his roster spot at the same time. He definitely did the latter and continues to have a pretty good place on the Red Wings depth chart going into this season. That's good enough reason to at least give him a look in your league, though he's another guy that I'm not super eager to add because, hey, if he gets moved off that top line, there's not a whole lot he can do for himself.
0: Yeah, but last year he pretty much stayed on that top line the entire time. So it seems like that's less likely now than it would have been last year.
1: Yeah, I suppose you might think so. But he's playing on the right side. And these are the guys that Detroit has on the right side. They've got Ablocator, Tatar, Polkanen, and Jericho, So I feel like Everybody aside from applicator has pretty decent offensive upside. So, like, if you asked me to make Detroit's lines, I don't know if I'd end up having applicator within the top two right wing slots. But I'm not making the lines. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so it's the kind of thing where definitely while he's playing with Zetterberg and Nyquist, that's a good position for him to be in. Speaking of the Red Wings lines, though, we should also mention Brad Richards, offseason signing. He's slated right now to be centering the second line with Franzen and Tatar. Definitely not a bad position. And this is a guy who's not getting drafted in most leagues. He only had 37 points in 76 games last year for the Blackhawks. And sometimes even in a pretty decent role. So that was a very disappointing year for him. I guess that's why he was not re-signed by the Blackhawks. But hey, maybe their loss is Detroit's gain and, you know, a decent preseason for Brad Richards. Four points in three games. And if he's going to be playing with Thomas Tatar, who's definitely proven himself to be... I guess stud is a strong word, but a very good guy to have on your fantasy team. And Johan Franzen, while he's healthy, is always productive. So good position for Brad Richards. And that's another guy you might want to look at at the end of your draft. If you want to go the other way, you know, if you don't want to go with the Anton Landers and the Drysatils and the Anthony Seus and these guys who are young and we don't know much about them, you could go the other way. Take a veteran who maybe could be a bit more steady.
1: Really admirable effort, Elon, on those pronunciations.
0: Yeah, well, hey, at least I said Yuri Letera correctly in that last segment, so I'm happy about that.
1: Yeah, that's right, a definite feather in your cap. And just going back to Brad Richards, I remember around this time last year, he was sort of like an under-the-radar favorite for a lot of people. There was some hype, oh, he's gonna play on Chicago's second line, have some really good line mates. And then, yeah, he didn't really make the most of that opportunity, though he did, in short bursts, During the season, it just was not consistent. Like, he had a couple really strong, like 15 game swings, but outside of those, not so great. And that's why he ended up with such a low point total. I would hope that this year he can perform in Detroit the way that we hoped he would perform all of last year in Chicago, which is like to be at least a 50 point plus guy. But I don't know if that might be asking just a bit too much from Brad Richards at this point in his
0: career. Definitely someone to have on your watch list if he's not drafted, I would say. And okay, one final thing before we actually close out the show. I know I've been teasing the end of the show for a little while now. But okay, a Keeping Carlson classic. Let's talk about the top line on Anaheim. This is something that we're probably going to do all throughout the season in this seemingly revolving door that we got a question in our patron Facebook group recently. Someone was asking if Patrick Maroon, who's slated to be there now with Perry and Getzlaff, if he's going to be able to finally hold on to the spot. He's saying, it's looking like Patrick Maroon is going to stay there on that top line. And hey, that would be great for him. He always does seem to produce well when he's playing with Perry and Getzlaff. Last year, he had a few runs there and they were all pretty decent, but he always ended up getting knocked off. I remember at one point... I had Patrick Maroon, and I saw something by the coach saying he was very happy with how he was doing there, and then, you know, two games later, it was someone else. So, Brian, is there any difference this year than last year? Is Patrick Maroon finally someone who's going to stay on the top line with Perry and Getzlaff and thus be fantasy relevant? I'm going to say right now, I want Maroon on my team as long as he's on that line. The question is, it just doesn't seem like anyone could stick there.
1: Oh good, I'm glad we were able to start talking about this before the season even started. That third spot on Anaheim's top line that has seen so many people go through it, including Danny Heatley and Renee Bork in recent years, so... Okay, you want to know about Patrick Maroon? I think you already know my answer. I almost feel like you're just egging me on. And you know that my answer is Patrick Maroon's value is good for as long as he's on that top line, which is pretty hard to know because neither of us are Bruce Boudreaux. And this ties back to what I said earlier in the show, which is that, you know, if you are going for a guy because of their spot on a line, I feel like this is like what you want to do very much towards the end of your draft or even with your like streaming spot on your roster because... You don't want to ever be saddled with a guy that has zero value if he's not playing with the right players, especially in as transient a spot as there is on that top line with the Ducks.
0: Yeah, so definitely don't draft him early, but if you want someone to help you for the first couple of weeks of the season, maybe, that's the guy slated to be there now, and I'm also seeing he's been playing on the top power play, so... Patrick Maroon, not going to give you many shots on goal, but should be good for a handful of assists as long as he's playing with those two superstars. Yeah, for as long as he's playing with those two superstars. You know, at this point, I don't know what would be a more delicious turn of events in terms of Brian being wrong. If Patrick Maroon ends up staying on the top line all season and gets like 60 points, or if Andrew Hammond ends up taking over as the number one goalie in Ottawa. (laughs) I feel like those are two of the things that you always are saying. You say, Hammond isn't going to take the job and don't take the third guy on Anaheim. If any listeners could think of any other common Brianisms that we could start tracking as the season starts, that'd be kind of fun. So you could tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. Great transition, Elon. Thank you. Yeah, we're done the show. So before we completely sign off, I will remind you that you could follow us on Twitter, at Keeping Carlson. We talked all about the Facebook group and how we're really active with the patrons there. But we're also active on Twitter. If you ask us a question, we're going to answer your question, do our best to help you out. So free fantasy advice. Can't complain. Also, Brian tweets some interesting things all throughout the year as news comes out. Brian wrote how he was so shocked when Marco Dano got dropped. It was a great tweet. Also, at this point of the show, we always like to ask if you want to help support the show in a way that's super easy, doesn't cost you anything, you would be a great friend of ours if you go over to iTunes and give us a five-star review great way to give us some exposure to those people searching for fantasy hockey on itunes so we would appreciate that we've already mentioned the patron group keepingcarlson.com slash patron we've talked about dauber hockey and how they're amazing we've talked about a whole bunch of players from stars like jordan Everly to people we're not sure about like andreas athanasiu nice you got it Woo. So with that, let's cue the outro music, and Brian, read us the credits.
1: Okay, this episode of Keeping Carlson was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Canucks Army, Flames Nation, Dauber Hockey, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey.
0: Great job, Brian. I'm so excited to talk about actual regular season NHL action when we're back with another episode next week.
1: Oh man, me too. Actual box scores to follow and talk about. And until then, keep on keeping carl song.